series today in, uh, in the season of Advent called Hark. You see it on your bulletin there. Unfamiliar word, although familiar enough from singing uh, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. That's probably what most of us think about. It's an old uh, English word and Dutch word, and there's Germanic influences, and it's, uh, it's in some copies of older copies of the scriptures, but it's an old word that we think of around this time of, of the year because uh, of the song that we just sang and because of what it draws our mind to, the angels that come and attend the telling of the story of the birth of Christ. And we're actually going to be looking at these passages uh, that have the angels, the messengers of God, come and give uh, the, the message of salvation, the gospel or the good news that comes to the world. It actually comes through messengers, through angels. And, you know, angels in the scriptures, like miracles themselves, we kind of think about it being all over the Bible and think, well, angels kind of show up all the time and there's all these miracles happening and supernatural events. But if you actually look at the scriptures, both miracles and wonders and signs and also angels are pretty sparse. It doesn't actually show up nearly as much as people think when you actually look at this. Most people in the story of the scripture never saw an angel, never experienced a sign or a wonder in the sense of the ones that are recorded for us in Scripture. Most people lived their lives with ordinary faithfulness and didn't see extraordinary things from God's hand. But there are times in the story of redemption when God comes in a significant I won't say change, but a significant turning of the page of the story of Scripture happens. And usually those events are accompanied by what we call signs, wonders, and even the messengers of God come and proclaim this. And you may think, why does that happen? Well, probably for the reason I just said, because many people just experience life ordinarily. We're going to meet Zechariah in the passage that we're about to read, and he experienced He's just doing his, his duty as a priest. It's not as though he sees miracles every day and he has a, a hard time believing the message that comes from this angel like many of us might have a hard time believing that it happened. And so let's read the story and we're going to talk about this idea of belief this morning and to listen to the message of the angel this morning, which is the good news which in particular in this passage today is targeted at us believing this unbelievable message. So Luke chapter 1, verse 5. Let's read it together. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as a priest before God, when his division was on duty according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, 
and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. This is the word of the Lord. When we look at a passage like this, as I've already mentioned, a sense of skepticism kind of sets in on us as we think about uh, the sign of, of Zechariah being mute and, and unable to speak for a time, the sign of the angel coming, the angel Gabriel. Um, just the sense of skepticism sets in because this is not something that we don't usually associate with our ordinary lives. And um, what I want us to see this morning is that for Zechariah, it was no different. Like all of us, he had a bias that the, the unbelievable thing doesn't happen. What makes sense to me is kind of the bias that all of us approach the world with. My own experiences, what I've read, my own knowledge, my own trust in other smart people. We kind of tend to have these biases towards the things that we understand. And what we see here is that the people of God, primarily, including Zechariah, who was, we're told here, a righteous person. Right? He was a really good guy. He was a guy who was faithful. He followed the Scriptures. And even for him, he had a bias towards not believing the unbelievable when it was presented to him from this angel. His response when he's told this, that he will receive a son, John the Baptist, is to say, how shall I know this will be? That's what a lot of us would probably say. It's what basically Mary says in the next passage we're going to look at next week when the angel visits her from on high and she is blessed. She is called someone who is set apart in Scripture as being faithful and, and someone who was very obedient to the Scriptures. And what was her response when she's told that she's going to have Jesus? She says, how can this be? For I'm a virgin. This doesn't make sense to me. And when we ask the question, how do we know things? How do we know what we should believe in or not believe in? We always have to ask ourselves, well, with respect to what? 
what am I supposed to believe and with respect to what? What is the basis of my belief? I don't believe that this happens, whatever this may be, because of what reason? Because it has not been in my experience before. That's a reason that often we have. Because someone else said that it's impossible to happen is another reason that we have. Our own experiences, maybe scientific discovery. Um, But what is the basis of our belief and what is the standard? For instance, I didn't know that that nine-year beetles existed until I lived in St. Louis. That was not part of my experience uh, before, but I'll tell you, when I lived there and I went to seminary there for four years, uh, we bought a house in the suburb of, of St. Louis, and one day I walked out and I saw some things swarming around a tree, and I, I, just, I went up to that tree and then I, I saw the whole tree was covered in these beetles that I'd never seen before. And then I looked around and beetles were everywhere in my neighborhood. They were swarming in the skies. And I just I felt like I was in one of the biblical plagues. Uh, I, was, I saw the, all these beetles, and then we were, we were driving. It was, happened to be a Sunday morning when I noticed that we drove about 20 miles to the church plant in the downtown area where we were serving. And um, there's just beetles everywhere, like in every part of St. Louis. They just descended, billions of them, I'm guessing. But they were everywhere. What did they do? They lived for five days. And then they mated, they had laid eggs, and they died. And the eggs went down into the ground, and for nine years they would lie dormant until the cycle repeats itself. Nine years, five days, nine years, five days, millions, billions of these beetles. And you think, why? You know, what is happening here? I woke up that day and it finally made sense to me, you know, in the Exodus plagues when it said that the, the locusts came on and, and the sun was, was blotted out. You know, there was darkness over the whole land. And that made sense to me for the first time because I experienced it. When I walked outside, everything was hazy. The, you could barely see anything because the, the beetles were everywhere. And that is something that I had not experienced before. But is nonetheless true. What is the basis of a belief? What is the basis of your understanding of what the world is to be? Is it only your experience or is it something more? When you think about it, anything that does exist, you have trouble believing that it is true. Uh, This is put very well in a book called Notes from a Tilted World by N.D. Wilson. And he says this, Bats really do exist. Caterpillars really turn into butterflies. It's not just a lie for children. Coal squishes into diamonds. Apples turn flowers and apple trees turn flowers into apples using sunlight and air. I've seen a baby born and I know what made it, but I'm not telling you you'd never believe me. You see, his his whole perspective is what's really believable when you actually think about it. If it's not of our not our experience, what else is it? Could it be science? Science is very cool. Christians should love science. Science is an amazing thing. But if you think that even if you were to study that for your whole life, and you get your PhD, that you're going to understand something like the earth moving through space at 67,000 miles per hour or all the different planets suspended and held together with gravity and just these marbles floating around in the universe, 
you're going to understand what this world is. Are you really? Do you believe and with respect to what? I'm going to say to us this morning, obviously as a Christian pastor, that you should believe with respect to what God says. As the basis of your belief, if you believe that He exists and that we were created from Him, then why not many of the things that happen in the story that unfold before us today that many billions of people have given their life to understand and believe? And we challenge our skepticism with Zechariah this morning. Many of us righteous people who follow God still need to see that God comes and brings wonders into this world and the good news is proclaimed to us to believe in this morning the good news of the coming Messiah. And so we want to hark to it. Hark just means listen, to pay attention to. And today what we want to listen to is this, to believe the seemingly unbelievable good news. The passage is designed for us to reinforce our belief as it was for Zechariah. Though he failed to see it, he did in the end, by the grace of God, receive a sign. His own muteness and uh, inability to speak becomes the sign by which he has belief and God graciously gives him that burden so that he can believe. But there are many other things in this passage and that he experienced that should have triggered his belief, and so we're going to look at those this morning. How do we believe the seemingly unbelievable good news? First, we need to remember the story. Remember the story. Now, you have to realize we are still in the Old Testament. This is an Old Testament story. Now, you may say, I'm in the Gospel of Luke here. I'm pretty sure the Gospel of Luke is in the New Testament. You are correct. It was written in the New Testament, but about the time period before Christ. John the Baptist is the last Old Testament prophet. And so, in this period, this, it's been on and on the same routines, the, the people of God waiting for this Messiah. And part of the routine is described to us with Zechariah and his priestly duties. And so we're introduced to Zechariah in verse 5. And we have a lot of character development on Zechariah and Elizabeth. It says, In the days of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Here's what we know about Zechariah and Elizabeth. First of all, their names. Their names fit into the story. Zechariah means God remembers. God remembers. He remembers His promises. Elizabeth means, ironically at this point in the story, God provides. God gives an abundance. Though she is barren right now. But their names are, are hearkening us to the story of God, that this is what He is going to do. He's going to deliver His people like He has in the past. We're told also that they're righteous and blameless before God. What does that mean? Doesn't the Bible say that no one is righteous in Romans? This is a different sense of the word righteous. It's the same way that the Psalms describe the righteous people of God. And when David says, look on me and and I am righteous before you. What he's saying is this, I follow you. I'm, I'm a faithful Israelite. We're told here that, that Zechariah and Elizabeth are faithful 
people. Not only that, they're both from priestly families. Zechariah is a priest in the division of Abijah. Elizabeth is a daughter of Aaron, it says, the great high priest of the Old Testament. These are amazing people that fit into the story of God. They are, as best as we could describe, true Israelite people that are supposed to know the story of God. And we're given this custom in verse 8, while he was serving as a priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, Zechariah was chosen by Lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense, and the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. What's going on here? This is an old custom. By the time of Zechariah, this had been practiced for over a thousand years. There was a custom of, there was 8,000 priests in Israel, 24 divisions, 300 priests in each division, and these priests would have a rotation that each one would serve for a time in burning incense in the temple. And so when it was your turn, your division's turn, when it's Abijah is on the list, if you're of the division of Abijah, then one of 300 priests would go and burn incense. Zechariah was one of 300. And he was chosen by Lot to go in and burn incense. This didn't happen all that often. This was a lifetime achievement moment for Zechariah. You were only allowed to serve once. So this was Zechariah's chance to come into the temple and burn incense. He would never do so again. And so we see this faithful, honored priest chosen by Lot. Someone who should be familiar with the story. And all of it points to a great, righteous, Old Testament family except for one thing. Elizabeth is barren. And in this culture, as it is in many, children were a symbol of God's blessing and favor. But the story of God is this. Barrenness is the picture of God's plan. If God's blessing is in the form of children, the barren woman in Scripture is a picture of God's fulfilling His plan by giving us what we desire, the hopes and longings that we have all hoped for. And so, Zechariah and Elizabeth could have remembered the story. This theme, it's come up so many times. Rebecca, Isaac's wife in the story, was barren. Rachel, Jacob's wife, was barren. Samson's mother was barren until she had Samson. Hannah, the mother of Samuel, was barren until she had Samuel. The story goes on and on and on again. And he's bringing these prayers to God in the temple. Burning incense. And outside we're told in verse 10 that the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And so Zechariah's prayers are going up with the incense and symbolically they're going, the, people, the prayer of the people is going up to God. This is what a priest does. And so in a sense, Zechariah brings his own burden of a desire for a son as a picture of the burden of the people of God waiting for the righteous Son to come. 
as the people wait outside for some word from God as they had every year, hoping and praying for the Messiah. And if Zechariah had had immediately the eyes of faith to remember the story, the barren woman, his own name, his calling in life, the prayers of the people, he would recognize that this moment when Gabriel comes and speaks to him looks like every single important shift in Old Testament history. And he would have seen that the extraordinary thing, the unbelievable thing, was believable because it fit with the pattern of who God is and who He has revealed Himself to be throughout the story. But he didn't remember the story right away. Secondly, he could have recognized the messenger. The messenger comes, Gabriel comes on the scene. His first appearance in 600 years in biblical history. Verse 11, And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord sitting on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. Later, he identifies himself as Gabriel. And again, Zechariah should have recognized the messenger. He should have recognized the messenger, and that would have helped him to believe the unbelievable. Because this scene is almost identical to the one in Daniel chapter 8. When Daniel was visited by Gabriel 600 years before, this is the last time Gabriel has come onto the scene. And when, what happened with Daniel? Daniel had a vision about the future restoration of Israel. What time was it when Daniel did this? It was the time of the evening sacrifice, the time of the offering up of incense. And what does Daniel do? Daniel falls on his face in fear. And what does the angel say to him? Do not be afraid. And so Zechariah continues, if he had noticed it, to see the parallels between what is happening in the story and what is happening in his life. And then the hope comes to him, the message of the angel is this to him. Verse 13, But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. And so he says to him, your prayers have been answered. Your hope and your longings will be fulfilled. And not only that, you came into this room praying with your burdens for a son, knowing that you carried the burden for the need of a son of the people who were waiting and praying outside. And he says, not only will you have the son that you desire, but this son will be the rejoicing of many. It will be the answer, the beginning of the answer, we might say, to this burden that the people of God have. He quotes almost exactly from the book of Malachi in verse 16, the angel does, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go before him in the spirit of the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the, wis- to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And you see on here the, the Malachi passage almost exactly. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of their fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. So the angel of the Lord comes and tells him, 
This is a message that I'm giving to you. You should recognize this message. It comes straight from the last book of the Old Testament. This few hundred years before the book of Malachi. And then Zechariah is going to lose his voice, but when he gets his voice back ten months later, when he proclaims and rejoices, he's going to go straight back to the book of Malachi. He's going to go back you turn in your Bibles to the next page, when the song of Zechariah comes, it says in verse 76, this is Zechariah now speaking after having not spoken for nine or ten months. He says, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways, to give knowledge of salvation to His people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give us light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of, our, of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. He quotes from the book of Malachi as he realizes now the belief that he should have had, that he should have recognized that this message has come before and it has now come again. Zechariah needed to remember the story. He needed to recognize the messenger And finally, he needed to release his doubts. Right now in this story, he's not seeing those parallels. He's not seeing the theme of the barren woman. He's not remembering his own name. He's not believing that the Gabriel is before him. In this moment, he resorts back to what he knows. Verse 18, Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am old, an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. Given the situation, this is what he responds with. That's what he goes to. I don't understand this. Even though he knew the story, He'd fallen into the rhythm of believing primarily his own understanding, experience, and knowledge of the way the world works. And Gabriel calls him out on it. Verse 19, the angel answered him, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. Basically, dude, do you not realize you're talking to an angel right now? And this is an extraordinary circumstance. In a sense, he's calling him back and saying, do you believe that I come from God? Do you believe the story and the message that has been proclaimed over and over again? Do you believe in the God that you're offering incense to? Do the people outside believe that their prayers are answered? We went to Utah a few years ago, just kind of doing the National Parks tour and um, we wanted to experience the beauty of Bryce and you know all the, all the parks. And um, we need to do it again, though, because our kids were little. And that was a mistake. <laughs> so not that the kids were little was a mistake, but the fact that we chose to do that trip when they were little. Because we weren't really able to go and experience the real depth of beauty of these parks. And uh, I remember one particularly egregious example was Bryce Canyon National Park, we actually pulled into the parking lot, and, you know, it just situationally, things just fell apart. 
I think there was a diaper situation. Um, if you want the details on that, I can tell you afterwards. No, I'm just kidding. There's a, there was a diaper situation. Somebody needed a nap and was overdue for it. We thought, you know, we're kind of doing math, you know, like, uh, if, we, if we spend another, like, hour and a half here, but then, like, nap time needs to come, and then, like, how are they going to eat? And, and it, we just kind of worked our way out of, like, actually experiencing anything there. <laughs> and, um, and so what we ended up doing was just letting them play in the parking lot in the field of the visitor center for a few minutes. And then we got in the car and we went on our way. So wrong, you know? Some of you with kids, though, you know. But after the anticipation, we were driving through, and it was beautiful as we drove, but we're driving to this place of grandeur and beauty. We had all this anticipation. We were imagining what it would look like to be there. And in the end, we stayed in the parking lot. You can imagine Zechariah. His whole life has been bent towards this hope, hasn't it? Isn't he a priest of the Israel of God? Isn't he the one who prays most often for the Son of Righteousness to rise with healing in his wings, for this salvation to come? He's been driving this road of anticipation all of his life, and when the glory of God is revealed, he stands in his own way and does not believe. He wants a sign as many people without belief want in the Scriptures. How shall I know this? God is gracious to him in giving him a sign, not the sign that he wants, I'm sure. What is the sign? Verse 20, And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their time. Here's the sign for you. Shut up and watch what God's going to do. And even though that was hard for Zechariah, as I've said, that was ultimately a grace to him. Because it showed him that despite his lack of belief and his inability to, to make it happen with his own words, he has the longings of his heart fulfilled, both as a dad and as a priest. This longing that he has for a son is to be fulfilled in his own life, but also the burdens that he's carried for the people of God will be fulfilled and their longings will be met. And not only their longings, but Elizabeth's longings. And she says this in verse 25, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when He looked on me to take away my reproach among people. He comes and He removes her reproach, that reproach that she's talking about of not having a child. She's saying he removes my reproach. And so the longings are met and the reproach is removed. And that is the good news that comes to Zechariah and Elizabeth and it comes to us this morning as well. Because this messenger, Gabriel, is creating another messenger, John the Baptist, who then paves the path for Jesus Christ. And in Jesus Christ, the longings of our hearts are met and our reproach is removed. It's not from John the Baptist. It's from Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. As we just sang earlier, the hopes and the fears of all the years are met 
in thee tonight, met in Jesus Christ when he was born. And in his sinless life, in his God-forsaken death, in his supernatural resurrection, he finished the work that removes the reproach that we have before God. And that is good news. But like Zechariah this morning, we have to wrestle with this. Do I believe the good news? Do I believe in the message that the Son comes to satisfy longings and remove reproach? Do you believe that? Let me speak to those who are skeptical in the room. Like most of us, many of us believe that our experience and our understanding is the basis of belief. But do you really want that to be true? Are there really things that you can grasp in this world? Do you really can get to the bottom of? How often have your experiences, nine-year beetles, been short-sighted? How often have they been insufficient? How much of a lack of understanding do you actually have? Isn't it great? I believe that you have longings that you can't express and you have a reproach of guilt that you can't remove. And what Christ offers us is the longing that we can express. It's actually met in Christ tonight. The birth of Jesus as we celebrate this season, that longing is actually named. It's for Him. And our reproach can be removed. The guilt that you feel over your sin can be removed by Christ. And we can join with the great multitudes of people who have been released and received this good news and bowed their knees to the newborn king. Speaking to those of us who have faith already, like Zechariah, there are many righteous people in this room. Righteous because of the righteousness of Christ, but faithful people. Isn't Zechariah proof that we can believe and not believe? That we can believe, but we need help for our unbelief. What happened to Zechariah physically can happen to us spiritually. We become deaf and dumb to God's work in this world. We believe in God, but we're too deaf to hear the voice of the Spirit at work within us. And to see that, it, that God's grandeur and presence is everywhere in this world. We're too dumb to speak the, the, the mighty praises of God when Zechariah is released. It's just this song of praise to God and how very seldom do our lips express the grandeur of who God is and what He has done for us in His Son, Jesus Christ. Too blind to see that God's moving still, bending this world to His purposes and glory. What we need is to Remember the story. This is what God has done. The extraordinary story of redemption. We need to receive this message from the messenger. Good news. The Son has come. The Son of righteousness with healing in His wings to remove your reproach and satisfy your longings. And in doing so, then we release our doubts. Let go of the things that we don't understand. And believe in the things that God has given to us to believe. With respect to Him, we believe this story. Because if we aren't careful, we start putting our hopes and our longings into something other than the promises of God. 
We don't need to look any further than Jesus Christ this morning. The good news is that He has come to remove our reproach and to satisfy our longings. Do you believe in that message? Let's pray.